The following episode is a preview of Andor, the new Star Wars series streaming on Disney Plus on September 21st. And if you've been avoiding any and all marketing material for it, trailers, clips, whatnot, and you want to go in completely cold, you're probably going to skip this because I will be using some of that material here and there. But if you don't care about that stuff, let's get on with the episode. Before a new hope emerges, in a galaxy far, far away. Before the creation of a devastating weapon known as the Death Star. And before a team of rebels known as Rogue One unite for the first time. An unsuspecting thief named Cassian Andor will be thrust onto a journey that sparks the birth of a rebellion and sets in motion everything you've come to know. This is for our love of a galaxy far, far away. It's a galaxy as big as our imaginations, but it feels close like a member of the family. This is Forever Star Wars. Hello there. If you know me, you know I love Star Wars. If you know me well, you know how much I love Rogue One. Out of all the new content that we've gotten since Disney acquired Lucasfilm in 2012, my favorite movie so far has been Rogue One, followed closely by The Last Jedi. Rogue One had an ensemble cast of appealing characters I quickly grew to love. Unfortunately, those characters all died, and that was rough to watch but it made for a pretty heroic story of sacrifice. Disney-era Star Wars takes a lot of flack for playing it safe and leaning into fan service too often, but killing off the main cast of your second big screen Star Wars movie was kinda gutsy. Your father would have been proud of you, Jen. Rogue One went on to earn over a billion dollars worldwide, and with success like that, most franchises would simply greenlight a sequel. Hard to do when your main cast got vaporized on Scarif. Besides, isn't A New Hope already the de facto sequel to Rogue One? The criticism I see most often about Rogue One is that the plot doesn't allow us to spend enough time with its characters. And I kind of see the point. That's why the idea of a series about the early formations of the Rebel Alliance, as seen through the eyes of Cassian Andor, is so appealing. For starters, Diego Luna is an extremely likable actor who imbued Andor with humanity and grit and a hint of regret for what he'd done in the service of the Rebellion. We've all done terrible things on behalf of the Rebellion. Spies, saboteurs, assassins. Everything I did, I did for the Rebellion. Even with limited screen time and an action-heavy plot, Luna conveys a man whose soul is heavy with ghosts of his past deeds. 
In Rogue One, we see him pivot from those dark deeds for something bigger and more idealistic to the cause than inhabiting the dark alleys of the galaxy in search of secrets he could use against the Empire. So what was that life like? You remember there was a, a line in uh, Rogue One uh, where the character says, I've been in this fight since I was six years old, right? So now, now we're gonna meet that man, you know, the wounded man that, he, that couldn't have a childhood and he's been fighting since six years old. Yeah. We're gonna get to meet him in a moment where he doesn't feel capable of what he actually ends up doing, you know? He, he doesn't feel that he has that inside. So it's about that awakening and I just, yeah, I, I am very excited because I would have been, it would have been terrible to come back and do the same character, but this is not the same character. Yeah. And uh, it reminds us that we're all capable of, of transforming and uh, we're all capable of doing extraordinary things, you know? Another standout character in the Andor series will be Senator Mon Mothma, played by Genevieve O'Reilly. We meet her within the Imperial Senate. She's a senator trying to effect change from within Empire. Now, obviously we know that's going to be ultimately unsuccessful because she leaves and, and becomes a rebel leader. So it was fascinating to me to go, how does that happen? How often do you have to fail before you realize you have to affect change in a different way? To rescind the status quo, to drop everything, and to join a rebellion. O'Reilly has now played the character for well over a decade, having first portrayed her in scenes that were unfortunately cut from Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith. Now that he has control of the Jedi Council, the Chancellor has appointed governors to oversee all star systems in the Republic. When did this happen? Oh, that decree was posted this morning. Do you think he'll dismantle the Senate? Why bother? As a practical matter, the Senate no longer exists. The Constitution is in shreds. Amendment after amendment. We cannot let a thousand years of democracy disappear without a fight. What are you suggesting? Suggesting? I, I apologize. I don't mean to sound like a separatist. We are not separatists trying to leave the Republic. We are loyalists trying to preserve democracy in the Republic. I can't believe it has come to this. Chancellor Palpatine is one of my oldest advisors. He served as my ambassador when I was queen. Senator, I fear you underestimate the amount of corruption that has taken hold in the Senate. The Chancellor has played the Senate as well. They know where the power lies, and they will do whatever it takes to share in it. And we cannot continue debating about this any longer. We have decided to do what we can to stop it. Senator Mon Mothma and I are putting together an organization... Say no which... more, Senator, I understand. At this point, some things are better left unsaid. Agreed. And so we will not discuss this with anyone without everyone in this group agreeing. That means those closest to you, even family. No one can be told. The Delegation of 2000, as the group would call themselves, secretly formed in the waning days of the Clone War. The group was comprised of senators who were alarmed at how much power the Senate had lost and how that power was being siphoned into the Chancellor's office. After the committee had garnered enough support, they revealed themselves to the Chancellor in a formal request that he abide by the Republic's constitution and lay down his emergency powers as soon as the war was over. 
I want this terrible conflict to end just as much as you do, my lady. And when it does, I guarantee an immediate return to democracy. You are pursuing a diplomatic solution to the war, then? You must trust me to do the right things, Senator. That is why I am here. But surely... Th I've said I'll do what is right. That should be enough for your committee. On behalf of the delegation of 2000, I thank you, Chancellor. I thank you for bringing this to my attention, Senator. It's a real shame that these scenes were cut from the final movie, because, in my opinion, Padme was shortchanged by the Episode 3 script, and these scenes not only would have given her character more to do, they would have also foreshadowed her role in the formation of the earliest version of the Alliance. Mon Mothma was right there all along, and so these scenes would have provided a nice backdrop to who she became later as leader of the fledgling New Republic. Andor is going to be a glimpse into what life was like for Mothma as a senator in the Imperial Senate, a place almost as dangerous as the battlefields of Geonosis, but in a much different way. According to canon, shortly after Palpatine declared himself emperor, several members of the delegation of 2000, including Bail Organa and Mon Mothma, were arrested, but were eventually released when they declared their loyalty to the Empire. It must have been a bitter and demoralizing thing to witness, the end of democracy and the rise of fascism. But Bale and Mon Mothma realized that they could do more if they retained their positions of influence within the Senate than if they were disbanded and censored. Or worse. They would, of course, have to be very careful, because now they lived under a microscope of scrutiny. They built a delicate facade of fealty to the Emperor while building discreet coalitions with others who shared their views. But many more politicians were now the enemy, and Mon Mothma, being a very public figure as the leader of a core world like Chandrilla, had to be especially cautious. They're watching me now. I'm hoping that the new series shows some of Mon Mothma's work to undermine the Empire while trying to remain undetected as an ally of hope and freedom. Bail Organa may play some role in the series as well, since he appears in Rogue One, and it's his actions during this precarious time that lead to Alderaan being targeted by the Empire as an example for the rest of the galaxy. You don't want to get caught with it. Oh, they'd hang me, wouldn't they? Take me out Briggs Road and hang me in the square. Wouldn't be the first time, would it? Isn't that where they hung your father? Are you? What is this? I said I know you. I know all about you. Yes, I want the box, and I'll leave with that if it's all I can get. I came looking for something more, and I think I found it. Stellan Skarsgård is playing Luthen Rail, a character we don't know much about outside of the trailers. From the scenes in the trailers, it appears that he has lived on Coruscant for some years and either is or was a person of some prominence, given his lavish attire and the warm way he greets Senator Mon Mothma. But it's also pretty clear that he's one of the first Imperial dissidents, as we see him firing upon an Imperial flagship, and he speaks about the severity of the Empire's oppressive grip. The Empire is choking us so slowly. We're starting not to notice. This line is interesting because it suggests that the citizens of the Core Worlds have enjoyed a fairly 
undisrupted life under the Empire, compared to the worlds farther away such as those in the Mid-Rim. Those worlds are straining under the heel of the Empire with occupation and strip mining. So when Rail began his campaign to launch a resistance, he approached figures on worlds that had seen the worst of the Empire's wrath. Figures such as Saw Gerrera and the Partisans, who were well associated with guerrilla warfare, having fought the Separatists in the Clone War. Call it what you will. Let's call it war. Another recent clip reveals a discussion between Rail and Andor. Rail seemingly has commissioned Andor for some purpose or another to obtain stolen goods, but Rail is instantly impressed with Andor's boldness and wants to know how he was able to obtain the item. Look, you got the money, I got the box. What else is there to talk about? I'll give you another thousand credits to tell me how you got it. <laughs> another thousand. Done. How? You just walk in like you belong. Takes more than that, doesn't it? What, to steal from the Empire? What do you need? A uniform, some dirty hands, and an Imperial toolkit? <laughs> They're so proud of themselves. They don't even care. They're so fat and satisfied. They can't imagine it. Can't imagine what? That someone like me would ever get inside their house, walk their floors, spit in their food, take their gear. The arrogance is remarkable, isn't it? They don't even think about us. Boss, I don't know you. Fair enough, but I know you. These days will end, Cassianander. The way they laugh, the way they push through a crowd. The sound of that voice telling you to stop, to go, to move. Telling you to die. Rings in the air, doesn't it? If Rail is indeed one of the earliest organizers of the Rebel Alliance, this scene is a good illustration of how he found people to join the movement. He needed spies, people who could fly under the radar, infiltrate, move in the shadows. Rail immediately recognizes Cassian as one such candidate. Characters like Saw Gerrera and Cassian Andor are going to provide a lot of moral complexity to the show. But I'm also looking forward to seeing the contrast of how denizens in the more rugged outposts of the galaxy deal with the Imperial rule, as opposed to the restrained, elegant, civilized worlds of the core. I hope to see these core worlds seething with cloak-and-dagger espionage, political skullduggery, malfeasance, cloaked in a delicate sheen of civility. Words will carry much subtext in these marbled halls of opulence and privilege. People will be two-faced. Political backstabbing will be a constant hazard for any public figure like Mon Mothma. I look forward to seeing her struggle to walk the tight wire of being a servant of the Empire while also giving aid and comfort to those who seek to undermine it. I, I would say that for me the, the nicest part of this process is that I was invited from the beginning. You know, as an actor, sometimes it's hard to being thrown there when, when everything is ready, you know, when everything is decided and uh, w w when camera is about to roll. And here I was invited to the whole process and it, it gave me the beautiful chance to feel part of every decision, to understand every decision, get to meet with every part of the crew and the cast and, and the team, you know, and uh, this feels very... You know, I feel I belong to this project, and the project belongs to me, and that's very special.
Andor has an impressive pedigree when it comes to the showrunners. In addition to including Diego as a producer, the series was the mastermind of Tony Gilroy, best known for his work writing and directing in the Bourne series of movies, and writing and directing Michael Clayton. So he's no stranger to spy thrillers. Gilroy has stated that he's not necessarily a fan of Star Wars, even though he does have tremendous respect for it. We want to take the best of what we get from Star Wars. You get an incredible aesthetic and you get an incredible tactile feel of all the things that they've built over the years. And the tradition of the quality of all that is fantastic. And you're like, well, okay, let's take all that and expand it out a lot more. That's one of the things that excites me about his involvement. He was brought in to oversee the reshoots on Rogue One and is largely responsible for Rogue One's overall grit and darker tone. He's not beholden to fan service. He sees the universe George Lucas created and has chosen to tell a particular kind of story there. What Gilroy is attempting to do with the Andor series is make a grown-up Star Wars. There's nothing wrong with Star Wars that's made for kids of all ages. George Lucas was adamant that Star Wars is primarily a kids series, but with the Star Wars canvas expanding, it needs to branch out and explore new and different genres. And I feel the time is right for Star Wars to feature a story rooted in the spy thriller genre. We also learned in a recent interview that the production for Andor did not utilize the volume, the impressive virtual set technology that's been featured heavily in The Mandalorian, and more recently in the Obi-Wan limited series. In my review episode, I mentioned that the one detraction I had with Obi-Wan was how cheap it felt at times, relying too much on virtual sets, which gave the series a low-budget, in-house studio feeling. In the trailers for Andor, we can see mountain and forest locations. A real living town was constructed with buildings and roads and alleys, and the show looks and feels like a real place. I'm not going to be a Luddite and trash the volume because I still believe it's a wondrous bit of movie magic. But maybe with Andor, the studio can realize that there should be a happy balance between location shooting and the volume. I think there'll come a time soon when Star Wars stories will do just that, and it'll be an exciting time for filmmakers. Gone are the gleaming days of hope. The Republic, as it was, is no more. What has risen in its place is a perversion of its principles. The weak are exploited, planets stripped of their natural resources, citizens surveilled, families split apart. Undesirables are arrested or simply disappear. The Jedi, once a force for light in the galaxy, are a distant memory if remembered at all. The Republic didn't fall to a conquering force. It wasn't invaded by enemies. It consented to its desecration, helped by the cowardice of placating politicians and the complicity of ordinary citizens who wanted order at any cost. They were easily swayed by the populist grift of a megalomaniac. In these dark times, those same citizens turn on their neighbors and report anyone who doesn't fly the banner of the Empire or speak of it with reverent admiration. A few, however, refuse to yield. In hiding or in full view, they subvert the crushing grip of fascism in ways small and grand. Some pay the price for the rebellion, 
Others are rallied to action by their sacrifice. A resistance is forming, and some who join its ranks will go to any lengths to ensure victory, even at the cost of their very souls. Cassian Andor is one such man. All his life, he's known only war. His skies were first darkened by Republic cruisers, and then later by Imperial destroyers. The will of unassuming and ordinary people will surely break under the cruelty of the Empire unless people like Cassian Andor stand up and fight back. Things are beginning to change. The sound on the horizon is a cry of desperation, but also one of steadfast resolve. The choice is clear. Either comply with annihilation or go out fighting. It's a sound that grows louder, more defined and shaped by the voices of people in positions of influence, senators, conscientious objectors, and people who simply want to do the right thing. It's a sound of defiance. It spreads throughout the inner core to the mid and outer rims. Every place in the galaxy, from bustling city to dusty outpost, hears whispers of this coming storm, and the Empire is not prepared for what comes next. That's what a reckoning sounds like. Season 1 of Andor will span a period of about one year in the life of Cassian. Its debut on September 21st will be a three-episode arc, and subsequent episodes will also be arcs pertaining to significant events during that year. First season is not, however, likely to feature the introduction of Alan Tudyk's K2SO, since that event won't transpire until closer to the events of Rogue One. Season 2 is reportedly going to span those remaining four years, with each arc taking place over the course of a year until the story catches up with the beginning of Rogue One. Star Wars has never done anything this ambitious before with a timeline, and I'm very excited to see it. I very much enjoyed how Dave Filoni brought the Clone Wars animated series to a close by having the story overlap with the events of Episode 3. But this will be the first time in Star Wars that a live-action story is told within a five-year time frame that allows the audience to see the events that lead up to a movie. For someone who's never seen Rogue One, watching it will be like watching the series finale of Andor. At the end of Season 1, I'll have a review episode to discuss my feelings about the show, and I'll have a special guest with me to share their thoughts as well. More on that soon. To keep up with all the coverage of Andor on Clashing Sabers, visit our blog at clashingsabers.net and send us your thoughts and questions at clashingsabersnetwork at gmail.com. During Andor, I will be largely persona non grata on social media, but you can follow me on Twitter anyway at DJMMarquis. That's D-J-M-M-A-R-Q-U-I-S. I hope you're looking forward to Andor as much as I am, And I hope you enjoy this preview taste of what's to come. Thank you for listening. The views and commentary of Forever Star Wars do not reflect those of Lucasfilm or Disney. All licensed sound and music are property of their respective copyright holders. Clashing Sabers and Forever Star Wars are not affiliated with Lucasfilm, Disney, or any of their subsidiaries. The commentary and production of this series is the property of Clashing Sabers and Forever Star Wars and may only be used with permission. 
Until next time, may the Force be with you. And always remember, your focus determines your reality.